Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the National Library of Australia and to the Art of Storybook Illustration. My name is Grace Blakely Carroll. I work in the library's exhibitions branch. I had the great pr privilege of curating the Storytime Australian Children's Literature exhibition here at the National Library of Australia. The exhibition is presented in association with the National Centre for Australian Children's Literature. As we begin, I'd like to acknowledge and celebrate the first Australians on whose traditional lands we meet tonight. I pay my respects to the elders of the Ngunnawal and the Ngambri people, past and present, for caring for this land we are now privileged to call home. And I'm sure many of you here tonight share the great pride that I feel in being a Canberran and the great privilege that it is to live on this land. It's a great pleasure to welcome you all here to the library this evening to hear from industry leading authors and illustrators, Freya Blackwood, Alison Lester AM and Lee Hobbs, led in discussion by Dr. Bell Alderman AM. We all grew up with a favorite storybook we couldn't put down or perhaps a bedtime story we could listen to over and over again, and maybe we know it back to front and inside out. These stories leave their marks on us, and they've helped shape the adults that we've become. Here at the National Library of Australia, we are fortunate to be a home for numerous treasured Australian children's books and associated materials. It's a real treasure trove. And a selection of our collections of Australian children's literature are showcased in the Storytime exhibition. And they're shown alongside loans from other important collections, including the National Centre for Australian Children's Literature. Among these are titles from the three extraordinarily talented individuals in front of you this evening. We are sure their discussion will provide some fascinating insight into what it takes to create the characters and worlds that go on to warm the hearts of children and adults across the world. They no need no introduction, but I'll give you a brief overview of uh, a little bit of background, just in case. Freya Blackwood is known for her iconic illustrations and the way they perfectly capture the warmth and complexity of growing up. While rich and classic, her style has a unique quality that renders her work instantly recognisable. Since her career began in 2003, Freya has illustrated more than 30 books. That's pretty impressive. Her work has deservedly captured international attention and a swag of awards and nominations, including the prestigious Kate Greenaway Medal in 2010, and that's the UK's most prestigious award for children's literature and it's recognised across the world. Alison Lester's picture books mix imaginary worlds with everyday life, encouraging children to believe in themselves and to celebrate the differences that make them special. In a career spanning decades, I'm sure many of you, like me, grew up on her books, uh, Alison has written over 40 books and collected many prestigious awards. In 2016, she was awarded the Drumkeen Medal for her outstanding achievement in the creation of Australian children's and young adult literature. And in 2018, she became the first Australian children's book writer 
to win the Melbourne Prize for Literature for her contribution to Australian literature and to cultural and intellectual life. Lee Hobbs is the best-selling author of more than 30 books featuring characters such as the iconic Old Tom, Horrible Harriet, Fiona the Pig, and of course, Mr. Chicken, my personal favorite. Lee's subversive humor has delighted children for more than two decades. I'm sure there are many fans tonight here who are looking forward to hearing Lee speak. His work has received countless accolades at every major Australian Children's Choice Awards. Lee has also had his books adapted for TV and for the stage, with the Old Tom animated series appearing on TVs across Australia and Europe, and Mr Chicken Goes to Paris, adapted by the National Institute for Dramatic Arts. Also, funnily enough, Mr Chicken has actually gone to Paris, um, and the book is in fact a bestseller at the Louvre a bookstore. <laughs> Lee will admit there's something of himself in each of his characters and that old Tom is no exception. Our facilitator for this evening certainly has her hands full with these three on, um, wonderful uh, creative people on the panel. Dr. Bell Alderman is Emeritus Professor of Children's Literature at the University of Canberra. She is currently the director of the National Centre for Australian Children's Literature. For her services to Australian children's literature, she has been made a member of the Order of Australia. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Bell Alderman, Freya Blackwood, Alison Lester, and Lee Hobbs. As all of you must be, I definitely am in awe of these three eminent, wonderful, creative people. We're here tonight to hear from them. The way we're going to do this is each of them has chosen five or six slides that they want to talk about the essence of their work. So Lee will go first, and then Alison, and then Freya. And then we will have some discussion over a series of questions that, that we've all looked at, but you and I know that it's, we're going to do the best we can, but questions oftentimes have a way of mutating. But I know that this evening it's going to be terrific. And like everyone else, I'd like to say thank you for the three of you for the wonderful time that you're going to give us tonight. Okay. okay. Thank you, John. It's ready? Yeah. <laughs> Right. Belle is going to work the slides. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you right. You have to point it, point at the it somewhere. We Sorry. Sorry. Why? Was that use that little arrow? That's all right. Okay. Look, for the sake of uh, succinctness, I'm just going to, because we've only got five minutes each, I'm just going to read out a little bit about mine. I've always been fascinated by characters, and in, in regard to the artwork I produce in all its various forms and mediums, this is and always has been a constant theme. Children's books have provided me with an excellent way to explore and de uh, develop this. Most kids have an innate sense of fun and the absurd, and I find their willingness to trust and follow me into the world that I as an author have created in a story uh, profoundly touching. 
and it provokes in me a feeling of responsibility, if not protectiveness. Undeniably, my characters range from the strange to the berserk, and while my stories and their world may appear to an adult to be subversive, children, I suspect, primarily relate to the characters and the relationships between the characters. The themes are classic, I think, storytelling ones, such as love, friendship, and most terrifying of all, perhaps, to a child being deemed different. Now, how many minutes was that? Now, so this is old Tom. So, oh, there, oh now there's Mr. Right. Badger. There we go. All right, old Tom. So very quickly, even though I never set out to, I'm not interested in doing um, issues-based books, but in retrospect, I find that somehow the character, like old Tom really is about the love between a mother and a son. And in the eight old Tom books, I've never mentioned the word cat. Next, Belle. Oh. You pressed the black one. <laughs> Right. I think we might need... Um, yeah, go, Mr. Mr. Badger. Badger really is about my love of London. Um, uh, yes, we can just go on. And oh, Mr. Chicken, I'm not quite sure what to say about him. Um, but I did, I did show him uh, when I first made out to my mother and said, what do you think of him? And she said, oh, my God. You've gone too far with that one. You've never known when to stop. So yeah. next one. And Horrible Harriet, based on kids, girls that I taught at Preston Tech. <laughs> one, of them, one of them has recently made contact. She's a librarian in Bairnsdale and her husband's a lawyer. Next. next. These are the kids that I taught at Preston Tech. So, there's my little... Oh, no, there's Fiona, right. I think. Yes, yes and Fiona. Fiona the pig. There we are. That's it for me. Fantastic. Thank you, Lee. Okay, Alison. Okay, I like her. Well, this is um, Noni the Pony, and um, I guess this this work is very different to the work that I started doing when I first started illustrating. And when I look back on those early books like Clive Eats Alligator, I used to draw with a very spidery, uncertain line. Um, and as I've got more confident, I guess, as I draw, and kids always say to me, how come you're such a good drawer? And I go, I just do it every day, and you should too, you know. And that, <laughs> and that is the thing, like, you do just get better because you do it all the time. But now I really love using a, a, a lot more confidence in my line work. Um, these characters are really characters I live with. Noni the Pony lives with our house, and I've got a dog like that whose name is Bigsy, and a cat as well. So when I work, there's most of it's based in reality. I don't actually make much up. It's, it's, um, it's just a reflection of my life. Next one. Um, this is from Tricky's Bad Day, and it's very grainy because the paper has come up very grainy. But um, I love this image of, in this book, Tricky's having a really shocking day and I'm surrounded by grandchildren at the moment. For years I had none and um, I used to joke and say, I bet once one comes there'll be an avalanche and that's what happened. So we had seven grandchildren in four years um, and one family has actually got, one stage, when, when their littlest baby was born, the oldest one had just turned four so their house was just completely upside down and I was witness to many tantrums and, you know, the socks that wouldn't fit and all that sort of stuff. So in this story, Tricky is having such a bad day that finally his dad takes him out into the wild and they climb up to the top of their cubby tree and have a nice time. Next one. Um, and this is my latest book, which is about a little girl whose grandma used to be in a travelling show and here they've gone up to the mountains to um, capture some wild ponies that they saw as they went through. And even though the dad says you shouldn't catch them because they're wild, the mum and the uncle can't resist them, so 
they very gently go and catch them with apples and carrots, which is a little bit unrealistic, but um, <laughs> it's kind of nice for a book too. And you can see... Oh, oh I was going right. to explain something. Right. Um, a way that I often work these days is that I, I love drawing with a 2B or a 6B pencil so I can be quite um, loose with my drawing. And then I scan it into the computer and, and tidy up all my lines. And you can see at the back of the green truck in the distance, there's a little bit of truck that I haven't cleaned up. So um, there's a little... I tend to work very much manually, but there's a little bit of digital work that goes into pulling it all together. Um, this is by Kiss by the Moon. And oh, I, no I really love the country that I grew up in, which is down near Wilson's Promontory in southern Victoria. And I'm still... I'm, I really love Twilight. That's my favourite time of the day where and night time where the, the whole world has that lovely purple cast over it. So mm. that's um, the baby being kissed by the moon in the final picture on that. Um, uh, oh, yeah. Oh. Here's, um, this is a cover for One Small Island, a book that I wrote and illustrated with Coral Tullock. And it, it was a book about Macquarie Island that I visited on the way back from Antarctica in 2005 when I had an Antarctic Arts Fellowship. And this cover nearly didn't exist. We had a, a, another cover that was absolutely going to head. And at, at the very last minute, I said to the designer, I've got another idea. And I'm so glad I did, because I really love this cover. It works really beautifully. And then I think there's one more. Um, and this, is, this, this sort of work I like just as much as my own work. I do a lot of work with kids working in a collaborative way. So I go to remote communities a fair bit working with the Indigenous Literacy Foundation, but I also work... Well, this was on that, uh, on that Ant Antarctic Arts Fellowship where I emailed kids every day of my voyage and they sent me drawings. And so these were a whole lot of ships that were sent to me and I collaged them together and made that illustration. So, oh. yeah, that's been oh. a really nice way to work. Perfect. Is that five minutes? It's five yes. more, sorry. <laughs> Ready. Hi. Um, I think I chose the wrong images, oh. but um, I usually illustrate other people's stories, unlike these guys who do a lot of their own books. Um, and I found uh, what I discovered soon after I started was just the power of illustration and the power I had as the illustrator. And this is the first example I found where I could strip all the colour out of an image and leave these two little spots of colour and oh. it gave the image such huge power for um, within the book. Um, so what I've tried to do from then on is include this sort of thing in my illustrations. Um, so I think in the next image, um, oh, we, I think there was talk about characters and I don't, I'm not much good at, a char at designing characters. I find I just rely on drawing I need to, as soon as I draw something that feels authentic and right, um, I tend to stick to it. And this drawing was actually quite small. And I thought, oh, I'm never going to be able to do that again. Um, and I loved all the life in the line work. And so I just scanned it in and printed it out heaps bigger, <laughs> coloured it in. <laughs> and it's perfect for, for what it needed to be. And I think I find that with my illustration work is it's so much about the line work and the life. I try and give all my drawings lots of life. Um, and look, I have an amazing daughter who's in the audience somewhere. So a lot of my <laughs> earlier work uh, was inspired by her and the mayhem of our life. And you can see in here, this is um, the runaway hug, and you can see all the mess and sort of 
you know, chaos of family life. And even though we have a family of two, um, I, I love filling um, all sorts of different families' houses in my illustrations. And now she's older, so I have to find my other <laughs> um, influences in my work. Um, and the next one. Oh, so because I illustrate other people's stories, um, the stories are all very different. And I try and find... I try and find the right way to illustrate each book. Uh, and this is, illustration is a good example, I think, because it was from The Treasure Box, written by Margaret Wilde. And I felt it really needed to be really delicate and detailed. So for the first time ever, I worked in collage, and I've used little strips of text up the top there. And, and I, yeah, I try and make sure my colours and the materials I use are all appropriate for the stories. And sometimes it works. Not always, though. Um, and because that previous book had been so grey um, and, and quite depressing to work on, I made sure my next book um, was a lot brighter. So this is Banjo and Ruby Red, and I used oil paints. And I made sure the line was um, fun and and bold, and I and the oil paint colour was a lot different than the previous book. So I, um, it was right for the story, but it was also good for my myself. <laughs> um, and I think the last image is just uh, from a recent book called um, The Tiny Star by Mem Fox. And I discovered pastels in this book because I needed lots of colour. And um, in, a, in a dark setting, I wanted lots of colour. So that's why I've put that one there. I think that's all I've got. Terrific. Beautiful. Right. Okay. Lovely. That gives you an introduction to how different they all are. But one of the things that is common about all of them is contact with the reader or contact with the viewer. And even though they're doing this unconsciously, that is one of the essence of children's books, being able to reach the reader, and the reader says immediately when it's finished, read it again if they really love the book. Now, I have a series of four questions, and I'm hoping this will be freewheeling between them, and we'll see how it works. So I really wanted to know, or each of you is going to be different, and I think that all of you have, have a lifetime in writing and illustrating one way or the other. Uh, but I wanted to know, when did you first think that you were going to be a writer or an illustrator? What made that moment in your life? Because I have heard children say, I'm going to be a writer or an illustrator. <laughs> so Lee. Sorry, what was that last bit you said? You have see here kids saying what? I've heard kids say, I'm going to be oh, right. a writer or an illustrator. And they're quite young. Mm. Uh, well, I. I had no choice. Drawing was the only thing I was any good at. And <laughs> so as a little kid, all I ever wanted to do was to be an artist. And I was a compulsive drawer. Dad gave me an alarm clock, which was set at <laughs> 6. And it would go off at 6 o'clock. And that's when I was allowed to turn the light on and start drawing. And I've al he also gave me a drawing board, which I still use. So that's, I'm 66, so that's nearly that old. Um, yeah, uh, I only became a writer because... Uh, I made up old Tom and I didn't want anyone else to write the text. And I, I had an ear for text saying one thing different to the picture and I didn't want to entrust anyone else with it. 
Mm. Yeah, it's it's a great job for a control freak, I always say, being an author <laughs> illustrator. It's just the way you want it, yeah. Um, I, I didn't start illustrating until um, my first baby was born, and then it was really just desperately having a job that I could do from home. Um, I'd been an art teacher for a year, and I didn't like that very much, and other than that, I just hadn't worked very... Well, no, I probably hadn't worked very much at all. I hadn't had proper jobs. I'd just been a student and worked on the farm. Um, so I... I've told this story lots of times, but I was looking at just being a housewife and I didn't like that idea much either. So I found, um, <laughs> I got the yellow pages and found, found Oxford University Press and rang up and asked to speak to the children's editor. And lucky for me, it was Rosalind Price. Um, mm -hmm. And we had a little chat and she said, oh, would you like your to bring your follow in? And I didn't really have a follower, but I went through the house and found a few drawings. I was very pregnant, so I drove in feeling like just, you know, not confident at all. And she was so nice and friendly and... We laughed at each other's jokes and she, and she looked at my drawings and said they were interesting, which I've since realised <laughs> is what you say when you don't like something very much but you're too polite to say. Um, but anyway, she rang me in a, a week later and gave me a book to illustrate. Um, and so that was the start of it for me. And I think if she'd knocked me back then, I wouldn't have done it. So it was really quite a fluky thing. And I illustrated other people's books for about five years and then just started thinking, I don't actually like this story much, and I was moaning about it to another editor who said, well, if you don't like illustrating other people's books, why don't you write your own? And um, I had an idea for one, and that was Club Eats Alligators, which was inspired by the children's yeah. catalogue, so the baby's catalogue, I mean, so it wasn't yeah. a very original idea, but that was how it started. Right, fantastic. Um, I, I was one of those kids who always drew, um, and my mum was a painter, and her father was a painter, so I guess we were surrounded by that sort of, by, by paintings and artworks. And whenever we were bored as kids, my mum would say, oh, well, you know, go and draw, or she'd mm. teach us to do lino block cuts or mm. wood blocks or, you know, all sorts mm. of things. Um, and, yeah, at uni I, I tried different, I tried different things. I kept kind of resisting drawing, even though um, I think it was what I always really wanted to do. I mean, even in, at school I made illustrated picture books. <laughs> and then at uni I made illustrated picture books and I kind of still resisted it and I went into the film industry for a while. And, and while working in the film industry, I met illustrators who were working on Lord of the Rings, who were doing amazing um, conceptual art and and I, it was so exciting, that sort of work. So, and I knew I could draw, but I just needed to find the right place for my work. Mm -hmm. um, and I, yeah, I gave it a go. I got some interesting feedback, like, oh, it's all too brown. Or, um, yeah, it was all very brown. And, yeah, and, fine, and I just found my niche eventually. Um, and knowing people also helped. Knowing one person helped anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah to get so me. I think probably the audience would be interested in knowing from each of you whether you had a teacher or a librarian or some individual that inspired you, or whether it was just the climate of where you were or your family. Uh, well, I was well. Uh, Oh, someone else can answer that first. <laughs> well, I, I feel like I'm talking all the time. I, um, my best, best friend's mother was an artist, and so as a very little girl, 
I, for me, there was a model, there was a woman who was making beautiful art. Um, so she was there. But I know when I was at boarding school too, we had a great art teacher who liked me and liked what I was doing and gave me the key to the art room. So I could just oh go and work God. in the art room whenever I liked. So, yeah, Mrs Bray, I have a lot to thank for. Right. Well, that's good to know. I think it was probably my mum. Yeah, yeah, just because she was an art teacher and a painter. And so everything, even now, she still comes over and, <laughs> and says, oh, I think, mm, I don't think that drawing's right. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember yeah, hearing you say that she'd given you the advice to use a limited colour palette. Oh, yes. In that beautiful book that's got the blue and orange in it. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, we, yeah, uh, we... Every so often, you know, she, no, I know nothing other than what she's taught me. <laughs> and, yeah, so I think she's well and truly directed um, how my work has but become. See, the library, I grew up in Bairnsdale in, in country Victoria, and there's a bloke called Peter Durkin, the librarian, and they were the days where you had an hour each week that you'd go into the library and you could explore. And that's when I... Uh, discovered Ronald Searle and Thelwell and uh, all mm -hmm. those marvellous cartoonists and artists, mm -hmm. well, you know, brilliant artists, mm -hmm. that the school libraries were full of then. So they, I loved drawing and that just, it was like fertiliser coming in, you know. <laughs> it was fantastic. Um, yeah. And that's what's yeah. the great shame now if, with li mm -hmm. libraries, you know, mm -hmm. not being so available. Mm. Mm. Well, there's a question I have about developing your characters, but I know from, and when you're a writer and illustrator, you, you decide what, what they're going to look like, you decide what to say about them. But we have Freya who has a different approach. She has to look at someone's text for the most part, although she has written and illustrated her own books. So I just wondered, how do you get in the idea of your character? So what is the first phase or the moment at which you know that, that you've got that idea that you want to get across in your character or your emotion. So yours will be sort of the emotional side. And maybe yours are Noni the Pony and maybe yours is Mr Chicken, I'm not sure. Um, I Look, it's funny you ask that because just yesterday I saw some beautiful colour prints of me as a little boy, can you believe it, playing cricket and football. <laughs> but they were so clear they could have been taken yesterday. Wow. Now, when looking at that little kid playing with his dog and that up, up in the country, I couldn't connect it all to the external boy. And what intrigued me is looking at that little kid, I could remember how I felt inside. This wow. is a seven or eight-year-old. Mm. And inside, that little kid with shorts and skinny legs like a chicken's legs, playing cricket with his mates, I was thinking about what later would turn out to be old Tom and Mr Chicken and, you know, they were in different forms. Yeah. So I was fascinated by the fact that I managed to, I assume, look quite normal. But inside <laughs> were these weird sort of characters <laughs> that now are running yeah. free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Alison? Well, I feel so stupid saying this, but even when I'm working on my characters, I don't, often don't really understand what's going on. It's, it all happens quite instinctively. Yeah. And it's not until the, even the book's out and someone says, oh, this is obviously blah, 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 and I go, oh, yeah, that's right. But, um, yeah, while I'm working, mm -hmm. I, I, as, as long as they look right, like, and then everything else seems to fall into place, like 
Tricky isn't just one of my grandkids, this kid who's having the terrible day, but he's a lot of them. But, and, but then he's this little person that he is too. But I'd never had him as a whole person when I was I doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it does. Just all kind of evolves and then I go, off you go. Okay. So they have a life of their own mm. then, mm. don't they? Mm. Um, I'm trying to work out how to answer this question because I think you, I talked about yeah. it beforehand. But um, I guess for each book of mine, it takes a while for me to work out how I'm going to translate that from, from someone else's text um, and to give it a visual that's appropriate or to, you know, to find my own translation. Um, mm. And I think, um, and I guess I use materials a lot for that, different materials, and, and a lot of it, like you, like you said, Alison, is kind of, I think, intuitive. So as you're mm. drawing... Um, something will feel right, like the you know the image of Harry and Hopper. At some point, I just drew that and it felt right. So it's like right, okay, I'll use it, mm. and that's. Um, and then I you know I will try lots of different colours and materials um, to find the right thing. What was the question? Well, <laughs> I, I think you've really basically answered. I was thinking of my two blankets, uh, which is by Irina Cabal, and that would have been a very difficult story oh, that, yeah. to write because it's about a refugee girl who comes and everything is strange, everything is different, the colours, the food. Mm. How did you capture that character? Because I don't know about the audience, but for me, immediately I could feel I was inside that girl yeah, who I, felt so different. I, How remember, did you I remember writing a blog post about that, which I don't do anymore, but um, I, I don't even, it was one of those cases where she kind of just took over. Just <laughs> took, but yeah, I mean, that's a bit odd to say that, but I knew that I wanted her to be sort of scared, so that kind of dictated the way she stood and the way she looked, um, and she wasn't from, she was from an African country, but not necessarily anywhere particular. Um, so there was a, and I also wanted to capture that saturation and amazing, the colours, the colours that they wear, and mm. um, so. But that book did take a very long time to kind of translate to visuals because a lot of it's metaphorical. Um, so yeah, some books take a lot longer. Um, and, and that one particularly, I, I ended up using watercolour and oil paint um, because I wanted her to be beautiful and saturated and, and the child who helps her to be kind of pale and a bit, <laughs> a bit washed out. Um, and you can see some of them in the exhibition actually as well. You can see the different materials if you go and have a look. In fact, at this point I should say that you can see some of the artwork by all of these people up here on the stage. So be sure you see the exhibition before it closes on the 9th of February 2020. <laughs> well, you know, each person has different moments of inspiration. You've got seven grandchildren. Well, that's going to be endless <laughs> amounts of inspiration. Where does inspiration come from? Now, Freya, you have done some of your own books. Where I have, and yes. So where, where I, does inspiration come from? I, I think our life is pretty quiet and insular. Um, but 
A lot of a lot of inspirations come from Ivy and just being a parent, which mm -hmm. I guess therefore connects me with a whole lot of other parents, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is lucky. Um, but uh, you know, as she grows, what I've ended up doing um, is finding that my childhood was actually fantastic. <laughs> so I've, yeah, I've, you know, I'm hoping to do work that's Catches. that captures my childhood and the funny things that we used to do as kids because we grew up out of town. Well, no, sorry, we grew up in rural New South Wales and we had lots of picnics and camping and, you know, it was quirky and weird and fun and I think it will make good material. Um, but, yeah, just stuff that's been around. Mm. Well, uh, I mean, kids want to see themselves in books. This makes sense. Mm. Alison, what about you? Um, well, my, Kissed by the Moon came about because I had a sweater and the label was Kissed by the Moon. And um, <laughs> I remember looking at that and going, that's a great title for a book. So I actually made up a story to go with it. And The Very Noisy Baby, um, Claire's eldest girl, um, Beatrix Trixie, was an incredibly loud baby and she was in a shop once just making such a lot of noise that everyone was giving us dirty looks. And as we left, Claire said, what am I going to do with her, Mum? And I said, I don't know, Bear, she's just a very noisy baby. And we looked at each other and went, that's it. Um, sometimes it's that obvious. But I've got a book at the moment that I haven't written a word about yet. But um, I, I love going down to Wilson's Promontory, which is that very southern part of Victoria. And you can do a 20-kilometre hike out and stay in the lighthouse. And I was there a few times ago, and the lighthouse keeper said, I wish you'd write a book about this. And it just made me start thinking. And I have this idea... Um, that I guess started off because my dad used to take cattle out there when he was a young man and he always said that there were three families living there with lots of kids and there was always one family on the outer and it was always a different family so the dynamic changed all the time and I started thinking about being a kid out there and being a bit lonely and I then, I don't know how these things happen but I started thinking about a kid whose name is maybe Joni if it's a girl. I don't think I've ever done a main character who's a boy so maybe it'll be Jonah but they're really obsessed with all the humpback whales that go past, so they're always out climbing around cliffs studying the whales, and the other kids tease them a bit because they're always off on their own and they call them, you know, Joni the Lonely or Jonah the Loner. And Anyway, one night, um, and there's also a cow, there's a house cow out there, and the cow drives <laughs> this kid crazy because the cow is always following her around and sniffing a sketchbook and being annoying. And one night when she's way, way around looking for whales, a terrible storm comes, and as she's heading back to the light cottage, um, she slips and falls down the cliff into the sea and um, she can hear this big noise and she's convinced that a whale is going to come by and rescue her. But, and a whale does come past but it just keeps going and then she hears it again and she realises that the cow is also in the drink so it's the cow who saves her. I'm not sure where it's going to go from then but it's... Um, yeah. it's um, it's, it's so enjoyable just having a story like that on the boil where you can just think about it all the time. Lee, I was just thinking of, of Mr Chicken and how he's travelling around Australia now. What was the inspiration for that one? Uh, well, I, I would... If you'd asked me a couple of years ago, I never would have intended on doing a uh, Mr Chicken book about Australia because my passions are art, uh, architecture and especially European history and classical music. But can I just tell you about Mr Chicken Goes to Paris because that's yeah. an right. example of just a spark. I was in the bookshop of the Louvre Museum, Musée de Louvre in Paris in 2009 and you know it's so beautiful Paris 
though I still love London more. Um, <laughs> and anyway, I'd already made up Mr Chicken for Hooray for Horrible Harriet, and I suddenly thought, gee, imagine a ridiculous-looking character like that with these beautiful buildings. So I quickly did a silly little sketch and came back to Australia and emailed it to my wonderful editor and publisher, Erica mm. Wagner, and we spark. And she saw one sketch of him hanging off the Eiffel Tower and said, it's a book, do it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how that came about. And then uh, about a year after it came out, I got an email from France from a very excited sale, Frenchman, sales rep, saying that he was the sales rep for Bloomsbury. He tried to wait, but he couldn't. He was going to wait till they'd sold a thousand copies. But uh, the Louvre had just sold 1,963 <laughs> copies. So this is 10 years ago. So Mr Chicken has his own life in Paris, in the Louvre. <laughs> so that's how that happened. But the yeah. Australia book was inspired because I got so many letters from kids while I, I was the laureate which we've reproduced most of them, or a lot of them, on the end papers, asking could he come to Ballina or oh. Pu Wong and stay with, stay with Nan. She's got a spare room. So that, that prompted the idea, I thought, why not? So that's how that came about. I mean, it, it's absolutely fabulous if you haven't seen it. It's, it's so child-inspired. So I think what, what these wonderful people are saying is that inspiration is everywhere. You just turn your back and turn around and there it is. You're mm. not sure how it all came about. But could I just say about all... I mean, I'm really lucky that I'm on, a, uh, 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 on this little thing with two other people whose work I love. But I think really... One, no, no, fair dinkum. One, one connection that shouldn't be overlooked is that uh, there's real love in the work. And I think that's what comes out when you look mm. at... Uh, you know, it's, you can't mm -mm. fake it. And yeah. I think that's what the yeah. kids that's pick up. And they mm. can't articulate it. Yeah. They don't need to. Um, but that's, they're engaged and that's, you know. Well, when you fake it, it doesn't really work. Well, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. It, it was like on your blog when you were writing about My Two Blankets and you were saying that the character just took over. You didn't even realise how that character became who she was. Mm. Mm. But she had a life of her own and, and probably that does happen in a way. You start your story and then it, it grabs you and then it has to take over. It. Yeah, I, I love I've the sometimes found I've given backstories to characters as well just so that I can mm. fill them in a bit, <laughs> you know. What a great idea. Yeah, and I've worked out, like in um, Harry and Hopper, I, I gave, um, I decided where they lived <laughs> oh. and what the dad did and why there was only a dad and lots of things like that, just so that I, you know, I could make them authentic. I think that's what gives characters depth, if they have a sense of who they are and that is conveyed to the children. So you're doing mm. this intuitively, but sounds great. <laughs> oh. Did you have something no, you wanted to... No, no, I don't want to talk too much. <laughs> okay. I'm waiting for a question. You're very good. Okay. So... What I'd like to talk about now is just what, what kinds of materials you use. For example, with Alison Lester's work, we have some of her work in the National Centre. And at one stage, she had written a little note that this little piece of fabric that was in this book was actually at one stage in a tip. 
<laughs> and Elizabeth Honey was with her and spotted it. Elizabeth Honey is another artist author. Spotted it and pulled it out, was going to do something else with it. And Alison fell in love with it and said, I need it for my book. And no, I was going to make a dress. You were, yeah. gonna, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, where, you know, where do all of these things come from? They just have a life of their own. They become part of the story that you want to tell. And so I guess I was just wondering where you decided that I'm going to do this in gouache, I'm going to do this in, you know, you said you're going to use paper sculpture or collage or oil. So in, in every case, you have to think, what would be the best medium? So what do you well, think? Well, I think, think you, over a period of time, you become adept. See, I love pen and ink, and uh, I, I love the rhythm of, of dipping. You know, I work really... A lot of people think, oh, look, what Lee Hobbs does is scribble. In fact, I had a horrible... What's it called? A, a, I haven't a, heard that. What's a person that does things online, says nasty things? Oh. A troll? A troll. I was going to say a toad. A <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, I had... No, this is good for you to know out there. I had a, I had a horrible troll, and oh. she said, um, it's obvious... You know, it's obvious that Lee Hobbs can't draw, <laughs> but one good thing that comes from this is that... A child looking at his books, anyone can do what he does. Oh. So why, why that was infuriating was that underneath, I work really hard to make what I do look easy. I'm sort of embarrassed at the... Oh, n now it's being recorded. Um, sort of embarrassed, sometimes like a drawing will work straight off and I've got mm. just the right look in Horrible Harriet or Old Tom's Eye. Other times... I can do it 20 times, you know, and yeah. just to try and get it right. But that sort of obsessiveness, I find I just can't, can't not be part of. It's mm. just part of, a, mm. part of the thing. Mm. I find too, if I haven't been working for a while and I do have long periods where I haven't done anything, when I sit down to draw, I might have to draw for at least a day just to draw all the rubbish out of my system, kind <laughs> of like I don't get you back warm in that up. groove. Where mm. I, as I get older, my things, there's a zone I get into where everything kind of looks a little bit like a stuffed toy, like everyone's quite chubby and their limbs are short. And <laughs> I, once, once I start looking like that, I feel like I'm in my zone. But it, I sometimes will have to just draw and draw and draw and it's all awful and then finally I'll, I'll get there. Right. I have the same issue where, especially when I start after a while, I'm, it's awful. But I find I also um, kind of trick myself into drawing with um, expression. And depending how I hold my pencil, I get different lines. Yeah. And in this book here that we're still looking at, um, I just used really thick chalk or pastel. And so I had very little control over it and it felt, you know, expressive or it felt expressive to mm -hmm. me and free. So, yeah, I tricked myself a lot. And I, mm, we sorry. need to do that, don't we? need to Oh, because it can control. just be so boring. Yeah. Sorry, drawing constantly. But there's a sort of, I, it's a bit of an over-the-top word, but there's almost a divine time where your imagination and the hand and the brain, everything's working in sync. And sync. it's, it's five like minutes a drug. before Who school finishes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, whatever. But it's, you know, and that's why, I mean, I can't, the most high-tech thing I've got at home is a black, is my photocopier, which I love. But just that thing of the paint and, oh, gee, it's good. 
I'm missing it already, <laughs> Pell. <laughs> but I well, think that's why we're so lucky is that we yeah. all... It's, it's yeah, never yeah. worked, really. Mm. Even when you're yeah. having to draw a whole day to get a decent one, it's... You love doing it, like it's yeah. a pleasure. I, I've learnt that there's no point doing that, and I just go off and do something else. Yeah, yeah, or wait till five minutes before Ivy's going to get home, <laughs> and, and then, then I'll be productive. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'll do it in five minutes. Oh. <laughs> Look, I think obviously you know there always has to come a time to end, and I mean this just seems like way too soon. I'm sure. But we do want to thank uh, Grace is going to come and quick. thank our wonderful speakers. Quick, yeah. And then we're going to have time for questions from the audience. Oh, so they, they have 15 minutes too. They may have an a, a right. absolutely brilliant question that they want to ask. And then we have a half an hour for signing of books. So we have to save time for that as well. Uh, the good thing is this is recorded. Uh, and it's live streaming on Facebook now. So all of us, you know, are immortalized oh. forever. Um, so... Grace. Yeah. Please join me in thanking uh, Dr. Bell Alderman, Freya Blackwood, Alison Lester and Lee Hobbs for that really interesting discussion and I'm sure one that will spark uh, many further discussions. So, so as Bell mentioned, it's now time uh, to open things up for the audience. Uh, so you